welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today, we have Sensei with us. Good to have you, sir. Happy to be here. I do want to make an announcement or two. We have been just recording on uh, on the first Thursday of the month, but I've gotten word from several people that uh, this podcast is an integral part of their uh, recovery and that they're missing it. So we're going to go back to recording every Thursday. So we'll be recording every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Starting next week, I want to go through the steps and the corresponding principles. So next week, we'll talk about the first step in Taoist thought that we have and then Taoist uh, text and also the corresponding principle of honesty. So uh, if we don't get through everything in the first week, we'll talk about it still in the second week. We're in no rush. There's no agenda. So don't know how long that will take us to go through any. Any verses you have that you think uh, that relate to the first step or to honesty, jot those down or any quotes. They don't have to be necessarily an entire verse. And we will start going through those next week. And we'll go every week. And if we have one person or 10, we will do a podcast. So, Craig, you have something, sir? Yeah. I am going on a world tour of New York City. Wow. In, in two weeks' time. So I'm going to be there from the 12th of February to the 16th of February. And on the Tuesday, the 14th, which is Valentine's Day, I'm going to be in time in, in Central Park. So if anybody wants to swing in and have a coffee with me, then you're more than welcome to. Well, good. You, and you can get in touch with Craig through the Facebook group. You can. Yeah, so the Dow of Understanding Facebook page. It's the same logo as what's on the podcast, so just join in. You can actually join in at the meeting as well. There's the link, there's there's a link to the meeting, so you can join in. Or if you have any comments or any questions about anything that we've done so far, then please let us know and we can bring it up. If you have any questions for Sensei Ellison, then just let us know as well and we can pass him along. Um and just join in. Um yeah, so I'll be in New York on Tuesday the twelfth. I'm actually having a meet up with my recovery elevator friends, so it's it's going to be really good because there's a lot of people I've worked with for the past five or six years that I've never ever met. It's just like people on on squares, just like this. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, how tall to, are you? I've never met you either. How tall are you? I'm 15 foot tall. Everybody from Scotland is 15 foot tall. We're, we're giants over here. The first time I met someone from Zoom, I, I was up actually at Recovery Elevator. Uh, I was up meeting uh, a couple of people with uh, Paul. And the person that I thought would be the bigger person was a smaller one. And the one that I thought was the smaller person was the taller one. It was weird because I had seen them so much on the screen. But uh, no, I, I can I can give you my height in centimeters, but I know you guys in America don't do centimeters. So I'm kind of like two and a half washing machines tall. I'm going with five foot four. Is what I'm going with. Let me check that. Let, let me convert that to metric. Okay. Um, let's see. Anything? Oh, we're going to continue our Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern meeting. Uh, and that's not going to be recorded. Uh, one of our members 
is bringing the topic for that meeting. Uh, Heidi S., she's bringing the topic. So, so that's all I have. Any other announcements, guys, before we get started? I wondered, uh, Buddy, in Taoism, uh, I'm not much of a scholar, but in Taoism, was there a history of meditation associated with Taoism, I wonder? My understanding is yes. Um, I do not know. There was not a lot of writing about meditation that I've been able to find, but it was part of the practice as far as every as far as everyone can tell. Yeah, um, central to Zen, of course. Right. I'm just curious. Yes, uh, and I like the difference you always bring out that uh, a lot of what we read here is more of a. I want to say more practical, but more of a hands-on than what I hear in Zen. Is that I don't know if that's a good way to frame it. Uh, it's giving you examples here that a lot of times in Zen we don't we don't get. Well, these are these would be considered examples in daily practice. They would yeah. be like the more like the pre precepts, how to observe the precepts. But in Zen, the experiential, uh, the, the method is Zazen. And so the hands-on part of Zen is the actual meditation in which we think we come to experience the fundamental teachings of Buddhism, and there, thereby we begin to understand its translation into words. How long have you been meditating? Oh, about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I started in the 60s. Okay. My question is this. When I started down this path, this recovery path, at first I read mostly. Yeah. yeah. And that moved to meditating to now it's almost all meditation. I think it was almost the opposite because I remember meeting uh, Matsuoka and Roshi, my teacher in Chicago in 1965, 66, somewhere in there, pretty close to that. And I don't remember having read many books at all. I maybe read The Three Pillars of Zen and a couple of books. I had an impression in my mind of Zen and what is, and I had sort of innate respect for what a Zen master must be. And then when I met him, he was a very small, uh, diminutive Japanese man, very humble, very uh, had a great sense of humor, very warm, and not not the aloof, remote, you know, type of image you might have from reading. And so I think it was almost the opposite. Right away, I started practicing with him, so I was jumped right into meditation. But remember, I was training in the Bauhaus method at the Institute of Design at the same time, and both uh, meditation and the Bauhaus method are immersion processes. So I recognized the meditation as being another immersion process, but it was just that uh, the immersion was in your own consciousness as the medium. Dennis just joined, I think. Yes. So it was almost the reverse for me, I think. Very little reading, and suddenly I was doing meditation under a teacher. Hmm. I, was, I was just curious because I didn't start meditating until about eight years in, and so yeah. I've been yeah. meditating since 16 That's, that's pretty typical, I think. A lot of people start by reading a book, you know. I yeah. recommend my book. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting now, though, Sensei, is that whenever there's any of those epiphanies that happen, they either happen when I'm in meditation or 
when I'm talking with some a sponsee or or a spon- someone that's in recovery right. or right. or in Zen too that right. we're sharing right. experiences, and then something comes up from that. Yep. 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 Not from a book normally that I that I get. No. No. Not. Yeah. And uh, most Zen, Zen teachers warn against book knowledge. They're relying too much on book knowledge. If you're yeah. practice, I, I in the the original Frontier, the first book I published a year or so ago, I re- likened the literature to the documentation you get with a computer application. If you're using the application, the documentation makes sense. If you're not using the application, it's virtually worthless. But uh, so so if you're sitting in meditation and you read books on Zen, you might pick up something that helps you work around a glitch you have in your own practice. Oh, that's why it's what's, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, we we don't rely on uh, book knowledge. We rely on a direct experience in meditation, which Taoism does too. I just, that's why I asked the question about meditation. Right, right. Taoism asks you to look at your daily life experience to find the truth. How can you be the uncarved block if you don't do that? I mean, I mean right, it's right. obvious, you know. Craig, you have a question, sir. It's it's more of a it's more of a personal observation because you you're talking about books and talking about meditation and this. So, like anybody else that comes into recovery, I kind of like to read about what I'm going to be getting into. So I've read a couple of quite lit books and that, but then I didn't actually read. I didn't actually start putting anything into practice until I actually started working the steps. This isn't an advert for twelve step program. This is just really how it how it worked for me. A lot of people say the knowledge is power. I actually think that the action is where we get the power. That's, that's when we start to, to get the healing. Am I the only person that still struggles with meditation after all this? I mean, I've, I've been I've been in recovery for a matter. Welcome, of, welcome, to, welcome to the club. It just oh, it gets hard. That, in some ways, it gets harder. Well, that's that's good to hear because you know for, for six years, for, for six years, I've, I've been saying, right, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to start meditating. I'll do it tomorrow. But I, I have the monkey mind. I, I I don't know if it's something that I suffer from or if everybody has it, um, but I find it very difficult, particularly in times where um, I'm under more pressure work-wise, right, home-wise, right, right. family-wise. You know, do you have well, any tips uh, that would help yeah, me? Yeah, I think so. If you think of the 100-yard dash, you know, you have to think of the last 10 yards as the hardest. Mm-hmm. So, and that... Uh, analogy is applied to Zen and that the the closer you get, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's getting thicker, you're running out of oxygen, it's getting difficult to take those next steps, you know, because you've run 90 yards now or whatever analogy you want to use. And so it's kind of perverse in that sense that uh, the closer you get to it, the, the more difficult it becomes. So now with uh, Steve car in from Newfoundland. He's here for 90 days uh, in training. So what is called an ango, a practice period. It was based on the rainy season in India when the monks would retire to the caves during the monsoon. It lasted about 90 days. So that was called a practice period. So we still have that tradition carried forward. So he's here in the formal training path to become a disciple, maybe eventually a priest. So when he goes back to Newfoundland in April, he can set up his own sitting group and have some training and have some credentialing and so forth. And we we'll, we help startups like that. So um, 
every morning now. And uh, I think Buddy knows that I went through COVID in December, where it just flattened me for like three, no, almost the whole month. Mm-hmm. And I still have after effects of it. I'm in my 80s now. And so my energy level, you know, is highly impacted by something like that. And it takes much longer to recover, as, as everybody knows. So I was just, I don't use an alarm. Typically, I just let, my, let myself sleep until I wake up. And typically, I would wake up maybe 7.30. So now uh, we have a 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock morning set Monday through Friday. And so I've committed to Steve that I will be there every morning, uh, you know, 6 to 7 o'clock our time. And the 7 to 7.30 period, he and I will just have a, a little uh, talk and set to and, and go about what it is he's done, what we're doing next, and you know, continue our face-to-face training that way. Well, you know, most mornings I'm waking up to an alarm using my alarm, and I have resistance. I don't want to. Get, you know, I don't want to get up. I don't, but so I, I've trained myself to do. I, I put on the same clothes every day. I go through the same routine from the back of the house, walking down through the house, out to the door to the car. I'm in the car and driving. Basically, before I wake up, I'm still half asleep, you know. So by the time I get to the Zen Center and go and sit in my place, I'm fine and I'm happy to be there. But all the way along, you could feel that resistance, you know, and you have all kinds of reasons. One of the chapters in the original Frontier is called Damn Your Lousy Excuses. <laughs> so, but all the reasons we have, we can't do this and how to work around that. So uh, the key to it, I think, is like Nike says, just do it. You know, if you could get yourself past the first three or four stages and you're in the car and you're on the road and you're arriving, it's, it's still cold out, it's wet and rainy and so forth, and you'd rather be back at home. But uh, by the time you wake up and you can think clearly about this, you're already there. And it's, fi- it's fine. And you're happy you're there. And you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So I think everything is like this in life. We, uh, even in uh, in Zen meditation, we define the pain in our legs and our back or wherever we're feeling that as resistance. We're resisting, so we want to surrender. We want to, and I think surrender is a big concept in Tao uh, of recovery. We the posture is one of surrender. You can't fight and you can't run if you're sitting there with your legs crossed. <laughs> so I think just not getting to the point where you don't even think about it. You don't have an internal dialogue. You're not making the decision anymore. And I'm pretty sure it was true of alcohol recovery. You had to get over that hump of where I'm debating with myself whether I'm going to do this or not. One of the young men on my calls this morning is a neuroscientist now living in Chicago. He was here at Emory, Australia for a year, and now he's in Chicago. And he admitted to me this morning that he has an alcohol problem. He, he gets you know, he comes home and sits and I said, I can just sit, I can go sit in Zazen or I can have a beer, you know, Zazen beer, Zazen beer, you know, which is going to win. <laughs> so the resistance thing and just somehow without even thinking, starting in motion, the momentum. And by the time you're there, the point that you were, was going to be so difficult for you to get there, you're already there. And it's, is no longer a debate. 
I, I didn't have to. I, I didn't have to fight so much when I was coming home and drinking. You know, I, I didn't put up much of a much of a fight there. It was just a case I'd come home and that's it. Just all yeah, bets yeah. are off. And what I find lately is I, I get up in the mornings and I'm normally up between about half past five and six. Go out for my morning walk. I'm normally about five miles in the morning. A couple of times in the past couple of weeks, I've just been like, oh, do, you want, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to walk the same path again? Do you really? Because you know, you knew exactly what's going to happen. You know, one foot yeah. in front of the other 10,000 times and that's you back to the doorstep. But what I've been doing is I've been putting that voice off until I get halfway around, so until I'm like two and a half miles in. And then I give in to that voice because I know that I have to walk yeah. exactly two and a half miles back either way. So it doesn't matter sure. if, if I give in to yeah. it, then. At least I've really I've yeah. I've done what I set out to do. Um, like but sw- swimming, that. swimming, swimming halfway to the island is say, oh, I can't make it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. But I like that analogy about the hundred yard dash. I like that. You know, the last ten last ten yards is the hardest. So I, I like that. That's yeah. you know, I, I yeah. think most of it is preparation. I think ninety percent is the preparation and talking myself out of it and talking myself back in again and. Um, There's another thing that may make sense there. When I was in high school, you had to run track, you know, and I was not very athletic. And I was in a township high school that was always very athletic. They they won the football championships, the basketball, even statewide basketball championships in Illinois. But so when I was running track, I would look ahead at the horizon, right? And it was like running in a dream, like molasses. It was horrible. It was like, you know, you can't. You can't get anywhere. So what I learned is I, I would look down, and when I looked down, everything was fine because I see the ground going by like this. You know, I could feel the pace and everything. So I I had to learn to to run, but don't look at the horizon. So it may be a little that way with everything else. You know, that as long as we don't project too far out there, which seems impossible. You know, and, and stay right where we are. Uh, we can get through anything. I, th- I think some of the issue as well is I'm a professional procrastinator. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking about thinking about it. <laughs> hey, Greg, I got well, at least you're professional. <laughs> yeah, for real. I got a suggestion for he needs to retire from the profession. Uh, I've got I do have a comment <laughs> for you, Greg, though that might help. Right, right. This is then. what I do. I get up first thing and go sit on the mat. I don't check my phone. I don't. I may make a cup of coffee, go use the bathroom, but the first thing I I don't sit down and start looking at email. I don't, you know, check the other things I check in the morning until after I meditate. And you don't have a debate about it, right? No, that's debate with first thing. First thing, you know. Now, some days if I've got to get up early and go, and I don't get up in time, that's different. Then I may meditate later in the day, and then I do have issues sometimes of getting it getting the mind wound down, especially if I have a lot of things to get done. So try Why don't you try that instead of walking? But the, 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 the phone thing has been a big issue with me in the past. Like, like a lot of the work that I do online is through Facebook. So I've actually switched my notifications off. One morning I woke up to 265 notifications on Facebook. And I'm just like, you know, I can't do this. I, I just really yeah. cannot wake up and have this level of anxiety. First thing in the morning thinking the world's finished. So I switched off all my notifications and the world's still going. And it's not so, really fading me ever since. So re- really, my morning routine is get up, downstairs, jacket on, and out for a walk. You know, and then I'll, I'll, I'll deal with Lou, that. You look like, Lou looks like he and I could be separated at birth, brothers here. 
Uh, try that, Craig. How do you, try, how, try 10 minutes before you go walk. Sit sit for 10 minutes before you walk and then maybe up to 20 or 30 or whatever works for you. But try that and see if that doesn't help. Okay, I'll report back next week. Thank you. Any other hey, comments, guys? Hello? Dennis? Actually, yeah. I uh, I have found it that it actually works for me that I take my dog for a walk first, but it is a little bit like Sensei is saying, I'm not quite awake, which kind of bothers me that I can't enjoy the nature because I'm still half asleep. But then when I get, I, I, I normally do 15 minutes of yoga before to stretch my body and that, and then I sit for 40 minutes. And, yep. and, and in that, the first 10 minutes is some breathing exercises, but, but, but then it's, it's, then, then it's the calm. And I realize when I don't do that, because I do that 4.30 in the morning, if I don't do that, then it becomes a debate when, uh, yeah. if I have to take my A meeting first and, and that, and then come back and sit still, then it's easier to go into that debate. That's horrible, but it's kind of the same debate as me mowing the lawn. It, it's it's not fun to have that debate, but me mowing the lawn is not really a problem. <laughs> yep, yep. There's something about the resistance that's built in to inertia in the system, but there's also, we exacerbate it with our monkey mind, you know, debating back and forth. So, Lou, you look like you had something to say. Um, yeah, I don't know. I usually... Couple of things for me. One is um, I tend to meditate when I walk. Um, I'm not much for sitting meditation. I don't know why. Um, unless I'm someplace um, like I go to a lot of my grandkids' sporting events and stuff, and oftentimes I just find myself observing without the thoughts going on in my head. <laughs> and so I've really worked on on that kind of thing of having no expectations. And of um, observing and when something enters, just like, oh, okay. I start want my mind starts wandering, goes, oh, my mind's wandering. Yep. There it goes. We used uh, to call it spacing out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, let so, me let me speak to that a little bit, if you will, yeah. Lou. Uh, this is a People associate meditation with walking and meditation with being in the in the uh, flow, you know, sports, bungee jumping, and so forth. And there are some corollaries there. But what we stress in Zen, Soto Zen anyway, and I, we may be straying far away from the verse, but I guess we can come back to it at the end, buddy. But um, the way I th like to think of meditation is it's not something different that competes with what I'm already doing. Uh, I don't have to take time out from what I'm doing to go meditate. Because if, in, in essence, what we're all doing is Zen. We just may not be doing a very good job of it. That's the broad, broad meaning of Zen. Everything in your life is really uh, your Zen practice. And Zen is just a name we throw at it. Long before Buddha people were doing this, and they had meditation, etc. So the way to think of meditation, I think, is like uh, this magnifying glass. You know, if I'm reading, and uh, I work in a shop, and I'm a designer, and I, I'm an artist, and so I end up ha looking at paint containers and things that have very fine type on them, I can't read them even with my glasses, so I pull up the magnifying glass, and then I can read the label. 
warnings and things like that that I, I need to know. So if you think of it like that, when you sit in meditation, you're just bringing out the magnifying glass. Or you can say you're shining a bright light on it or a laser or, you know, however you choose your metaphor. But so if you think of it like that, you're not doing anything different. You're just now taking the time to really get a an intensive, magnified look at your reality. And it's only for the time you're sitting, because we don't we don't say that uh, we 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 say, uh, yes, all these other things are meditations. And classically, they are. Go back to India, China, and you find out they have all these different kinds of meditations. The meditation is defined as a subject meditating upon an object. But Zen meditation is different from that. It's called shikantaza in Japanese. It means objectless meditation, just sitting. Mind and object merge, so there is no mind-object separation. So it's not truly a, a meditation. It's something beyond meditation. But you do meditation to get there. So if you think of it like that, you see that meditation is not another conflicting thing, not a different thing. It's just a way of re really turning your attention full bore on ex on your existence and really paying attention, not distracted by walking. Walking, everything else is much more complicated. Zazen is extremely intense. You're sitting upright in gravity, in balance. So it's related. It's physical. It's physiological, the effect that it has. Can I just ask, Sensei, is that similar? Sure, sure. I remember in the original Frontier, you were talking about thinking and non-thinking. Right, right. Is that similar to what you, because something, when, when I'm, when I think that I have to meditate, I think that yeah. I have to focus on something and I have to think about something and then I can't do it. You can say that you focus on everything if you like. You could try that, you know. But yeah, non thinking, Dogen said, uh, he quoted this incident where a, a Zen master is sitting there in meditation, and his student is walking by and 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 ask him a question, which we think would be very rude. You never do that, you know. But so he asked this old guy. He says, uh, "What are you thinking, sitting there in that mountain still state?" And the response is something like, "I am thinking, not thinking." This is all in Chinese, of course. And then he he says back to him, he says. Not thinking, what kind of thinking is that? He said, it is not, it is not thinking or it is non-thinking. Uh, Dogen actually, I think, coined the term non-thinking. Uh, there's another term we use, non-doing. It's like driving a car. Uh, you get in a car and drive it without any conscious thought about it. So in a sense, you're not really doing it. You're, it's second nature. You've done it so much that it isn't anything. So when you, with enough repetition, push-ups, athletics, basketball, music, anything, it becomes something that is second nature, and you do get better at it. But uh, med and meditation is like that—you get better at it, and after a while, it isn't anything. You're not really doing anything because you've done it so much; you've adapted to it, like the weight of your clothes. So it's non-do, which is called non-doing. So non-thinking is somewhere between thinking and not thinking. You're not sitting there trying to squelch thought or suppress thought. You just let the thoughts come and go, and you observe them. Just we observe our breath, but with the same dispassion, we observe our thoughts. And so eventually it becomes 
non-thinking in the sense that that's not really what you're doing. You're paying attention to everything, as including thoughts as they come and go. But you're not sitting there thinking your way to enlightenment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so it's yeah. neither thinking nor not thinking. It's in between. You're like you were a child, two or three years old. You weren't thinking much. You know, you didn't have any words. You didn't have any concepts to think with. You were just experiencing. So it's kind of a regression back to that kind of frame of mind. I've got a twelve-year-old that still does that. Say it again. I have a twelve-year-old that still does that. <laughs> just oh yeah. Posts, yeah. He just posts along, just doing what twelve-year-olds yeah. do. Hey, yeah. Greg, the way I've experienced that myself is at times the the thoughts are like a, a, a real sheer curtain. And I'm looking through. It's there. The thoughts are still there, but they're not. I'm not going off and letting them right. take me places. I just I'm looking through the thoughts is kind of the way that it's happened for me. Um, Some like, refer to them as brain farts. Your brain is going to keep doing this whether you like it or not. You know? Or like if you're, do y'all have malls in uh, in Scotland, Craig? I'll have floppy. A mall, mall where you've got all the stores all together and you've got a place to walk inside. Shopping mall. Department store, the music playing in the background. Shopping center. Yeah, yeah you, you don't pay any attention to the music, but it's there. Right? And it's almost like you learn to ignore the music and it's playing, yeah. but you don't think anything about it. it. That's the same way that thoughts become at times, too. So, yeah. So it's not really what you're doing. I'm sorry, sir. No, I was just saying, so it's not really what you're doing. It's not the focus of your attention. Right. And uh, there are tricks to get away from that when the monkey mind is driving you nuts. You know, it's, you're obsessed over something. And that's you pay more attention to your senses. You pay attention to your breathing. You pay attention to what you're seeing. You pay attention to what you're hearing and what you're feeling tactically. And you can do it one at a time selectively. Attention is something you can direct to a degree. So, for instance, if your mind is going crazy, think, 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 and you simply turn your attention to seeing, now you've cut the power of thinking down by 50%. Because now you have two things going on. And then if you if you also include hearing, now thinking is cut down to 33%. And if you include body sensation, it's cut down to 25% of effectiveness. So you, you enter back into a sensory world, which was what I meant by immersion. You're immersed in the sensory world. I get it, yeah. And if you sit still enough, long enough, all of your senses change. They adapt. That is, they readapt back to a psychedelic-like experience where you're seeing light and color and motion and you're hearing all kinds of weird high-low sounds, internal-external sounds, and you're feeling body sensations more on like a cellular level. Mm -hmm. That's all present. Nothing happens in meditation that isn't already true. But the brain op operates apparently on a need-to-know basis and it just shuts all that down. Now, the opposing forces in mind theory, Buddhist mind theory, would be chitta on the one side, which is monkey mind. It's easy to remember because Tarzan's ape friend, right, yeah. chimpanzee, was called chitta, right? Chitta. And then the other side is bodhi. Bodhi means wisdom mind or enlightened mind. So the fundamental bifurcation of the mind is modeled, modeled that way in Buddhism, that you have this incredibly powerful ability to think and analyze and and so forth, and 
experiment. You know, it's where science comes from. Our domination of the world, the species, uh, the success of this species is largely dependent on that. Then you have the other, so it's extremely powerful. The other side of the mind is called Bodhi or intuition, instinct. You know, sometimes a situation just doesn't feel right to you. Uh, and if that's wiser than the analysis, you can't figure out why, but you know, this isn't right or something. So you can think of one as background mind and the other is foreground mind. And they're similar to central vision and peripheral vision. If you think of central vision, it can focus sharply on objects and color and shape and contrast, etc. And then uh, peripheral vision is better with light and dark space at, at night, you know, where central vision isn't so useful. And But if you look at the two of them, they're not in competition. They're complementary to each other. They're collaborative. And the peripheral vision, central vision make up the whole of the vision, which is how, why why the whole thing works. So the theory in mind in uh, in Yogacara as well as Buddhism is that the uh, chitta, the monkey mind, or the ability to analyze and c compete, cope, get the good grades, get the good jobs, etc., has t has become predominant in our culture. It's the it explains cultural evolution, and so Bodhi mind or intuitive mind has been pushed into the background. In some places, like the arts and music and higher levels of science, is still very important. But uh, generally, if you talk to your parents about your dreams, they say, "Oh, that's not important. Don't think about that. Just do your math. You know, do the, do the homework." So there's a cultural emphasis on chitta, thinking mind. And so when we sit in zazen or meditation, facing a blank wall, it's not much use. <laughs> You can think yourself crazy sitting there trying to figure out what's going on. So it has the opportunity for intuitive mind to come to the forefront and the two to come into more balance. They're not competing with each other. They're not at odds with each other. The monkey mind is your friend. It's just it's so oriented towards survival that when you sit down in a posture of surrender and give up, you're just trying to go deeper. It's not much use. And it kind of goes crazy. Kind of goes do, do, you think, do you think the monkey mind is so pre prevalent these days in society because of our exposure to things like social media and instant gratification? That's, yeah, that's things. an exaggeration, everything right? Is, everything is really just yeah. there rather than yeah, having that. that I, I information overload. Information absolutely. overload. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember the time the televisions used to switch off at like nine o'clock at night. Right, right. And that right. was it. There was nothing. You would have the national yeah. anthem. It was just fuzz. It was like something like the portageist for the rest right. of the night. You and go back twenty five hundred years ago to Buddhist time. That that was not there. I mean, the the teachings weren't even written down. You couldn't read them. I mean, they didn't even have. Uh, you know, the only thing they wrote down was like. Uh, Mathematical things like storage of grain and transactions, business transactions and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that makes it worse for us. But my teacher, Matsuoka, said, your enlightenment will be even greater than Buddha's. And people said, what do you think you mean by that? And I said, I think it means the 2,500 years count. You know, it's gotten so much worse that if you get through the BS today, it's going to be a powerful experience. Because you have to overcome all of that. Yeah, I, th I think reliance or, or just that fear of missing out if, if we're not in, in connection with somebody that we've, you know, one, one of our yeah, 5,000 yeah. friends on Facebook, I'm going to miss something out if I'm not connected to yeah. that person. And, you know, I just, 
Um, yeah, I, I like to do. I, I do like I to do a social. I, yeah. I do a social media detox now and again. Um, yeah. Where I say to the guys in the group, like I'm, I'm switching off for a week, and just you know, if anybody needs me, you, you can pick up the phone and phone me. Um, Moderation becomes very difficult, but uh, my my expression is uh, extremism in the pursuit of moderation is no vice. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can guarantee you're talking to four people here who failed miserably at moderation. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then yeah, for yourself. Yes, uh, since actually in, in an extent to what, what Greg was just asking about with the social media, with the TikToks and all that, have you guys at the at the Sense Center experienced uh, more people being interested in learning to meditate because of of, of that? Uh, oh yes, 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 yes. yes. We we th- we think we're using it well. We fortunately just before COVID hit. We had people join. A bunch of people came over from Shambhala. They had some sort of sexual scandal with the leadership of Shambhala in the area. So a bunch of people bailed out of that, and they came over. And some of them were very high-tech. And we had other people come in who were very technically savvy. And so at, right at that time, they converted our website at ASCC.org. That's the Atlanta Soda Zen Center. And STO, that's the Silent Thunder Order. That's the national website. They had converted all those over to new servers. They were on like really antique uh, software and so forth. And they just got everything up and running and then COVID hit. So we were very well positioned to make a transition into online oh, and hot. Oh, yes, and hot well, but I didn't mean, I didn't mean uh, you, you, it was easier for you to do it online. I was, I meant, is there a bigger need for meditation, you think? Because oh, yes, we have yes. all those social medias, that's TikTok and all that. There's inducing the yeah. uh, the cheetah. Yeah. Um, so just this. just pic- picture this. A lot of what we do online is uh, we do, and I thought this was ridiculous in the beginning. I thought this no way this was going to work. We we hold uh, meditation sessions and retreats where people join us online. Typically, we have a big screen at the Zendo. Typically, we'll have as many people or more online than we have in person. Now, starting to shift back where in person is getting bigger and bigger. Last week for newcomers, we had over 30 people in the Zendo. So that's a huge crowd. But uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, we've increased our membership in that sense. But it also works that if you join one of these retreats and you're sitting at home by yourself, you have your screen there and you can see the other people, the Hollywood squares, right? You can see all the different people. And you can see the picture of the Zendo sitting there. So you sort of like feel like you're at the Zendo. And it somehow works. And, the, and when after the sitting session is over and the bells are rung and everybody hears them, then we come back to the screens and we have discussions and things. But I thought it was absurd to imagine that we could hold meditation sessions, including, you know, half the people online, but it actually works. And it's mostly because most of them have in-person experience as well, I think. But like one guy, Scott, in Arkansas, I've been talking to for about a year now. He and I have never met in person. But he's he's a definite, you know, committed full-time practitioner, student, Zen student of mine, so forth. We've never met in person. So we think it's a, a great thing. But we're doing the opposite of what usually happens. If you get on social media, it's all talk, 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 text, 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 you know, know, the Tower of Babel. We're sitting there in stark silence together. (laughs) 
But that was also why I thought that there would be a more need for meditation worldwide because we are so into our little monkey mind with with our devices all the time. So there is a big just 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 like the duality of the world that you can't have light without darkness, right? So yeah, yeah. Thinking in that term with the old saying in the Zen poem is in the light there's darkness, but do not take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but do not see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another, like the front and back foot in walking. And if you think of what's going on there, the front foot is always becoming the back foot, and the back foot is always becoming the front foot. So light and dark are always each becoming the other, like peripheral and central vision, complementary. All all the dualities are like that. Mm. They complement and define each other. They're not truly separate. They're not opposite. That's a good metaphor. I like that. I'd never thought about jumping onto a Zoom call and doing nothing. I'd, 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 I'd never thought about jumping jumping onto a Zoom call and doing nothing. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> my, my experience of all the Zoom calls has been really to connect to people yeah. and chat. And this, and I, I, well, you're doing something, Craig. You're doing something all right. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a certain paradox about joining a meeting and just being silent. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that I feel at miserably all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at seven a.m. every morning Eastern, uh, uh, they do a thirty-minute sit, uh, yep, and I've yep. sat with them many times on in the morning. We're we're th- we're thinking about getting the six to seven a.m. on streaming, uh, so the the whole East Coast time zone and the, the Nova Scotia time zone, and the probably Central time could all participate and if you go further west of course you're getting down to starting your meditation at five in the morning and some people will do that it says it's a matter of uh having the staff who are tech savvy enough just to turn everything on and make it work but we're simplifying that investing in equipment we're trying to get it to the point where you walk into the zendo you flip a couple of switches and you're on you know, and the cameras are already in position. We we move things around now for different reasons, but that's the future, I think. The future is hybrid. A, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I know at the 7 a.m. sit, uh, it's been a while since I've been, but when I went, someone just hosted it from their home. So you'd have everybody was, in there yeah. sitting. That was April. She's one of the ones that came over from uh, Shambhala, and she's extremely savvy tech-wise. But she she says she had to stop that December thirty first. Yeah, I haven't in January. I haven't I, I haven't done done any sitting with them. So yeah, but uh, there's it's a good not, bit. Uh, there's a lot we can it's, do. It's not happening, so nobody's doing it right now. Oh, okay. But all right. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna get the uh, six to seven a.m. Eastern time up and running. When is the long, the next long uh, sitting Saturday sitting that you normally have every second Saturday? The next retreat is this month. It's uh, February, the second weekend in February, which I don't know the date. I think it's this, the eleventh or something like that. It's a Saturday, but it's a it's even a little different. It's uh, we are uh, Dennis. We're starting at uh, seven to nine p.m. Friday night. And uh, that's the orientation and sitting period. People sleep over who have come to town. And then we're starting 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday morning. So the Just Sit Saturday runs from 9 to 4. 
then we're having dinner, and, we're, and then we're sitting seven to nine Saturday night, and then we start seven to nine Sunday morning, which segues into our uh, nine to noon usual Sunday program. So it's called a wraparound retreat. It means we just plug in all the holes around what we're already doing and piggyback on what we're already doing. So you could, you end up uh, logging something like 20, 20 plus hours of time if you join the whole thing. Oh, so it starts, starts it Friday night. So you say it starts so, Friday night? Yeah, 7 to 9 p.m. Okay. And uh, you could come and go as you like, of course. And uh, some of these segments during the day, Saturday after the 9 to 4, there's a training segment where we're going to be talking about training people in the different roles, protocols, and things. We're the Is opposite of a call. We train, we train every – yes, that'll be online. Okay, good. I'll put a link in the notes, Sensei. Yep. If you go onto our calendar, you'll find it on the ASCC calendar. I'll put a link in the notes for everyone. Any other questions for Sensei on, on meditation? Well, thank you, sir. If there's no other questions, guys, have a great day, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. You're my favorite group. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.